Hey, folks, welcome to a special edition of The Electables with my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. We have a Democratic presidential candidate and senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, on the line with us. Senator Booker, thank you so much for joining joining The Electables. We love to ha- we're, we're very happy that you were able to join us. I'm grateful to be on. Thanks. It's great to, to be connected with you guys and, and be on the podcast. So thanks. Uh, Adrian, you want to kick us off? Yeah. So, so Senator, I want to just start with some big news that happened out of the out of Congress today. Um, Congress announced, as you know, um, articles of impeachment against the president. Um, what are your thoughts about today's news? And do you think that um, the House of Representatives went far enough? This whole process has been really sobering. Um, I was one of those people that called very early for impeachment proceedings to start during the Mueller investigation, because here was a report that detailed a a tremendous, in fact, at least 10 counts of potential obstruction of justice. And then the president of the United States wasn't allowing Congress to do its job and have access to the information they would need to investigate, which to me was a unacceptable reality that the president of the United States was basically saying that he was not subject to congressional oversight, investigation or accountability. And so this has been a very sobering, difficult process for anybody, I think, who looks at this objectively. And I think that this is a day that it shouldn't be for celebration. Uh, We are talking about removing a sitting president from office because of their conduct and actions in violation of their oath, national security, uh, and the very foundations of our uh, constitutional democracy. So, look, Nancy Pelosi, I think, has been dealing with this challenge in a balanced way that has navigating very difficult waters. And now we have a conclusion and what clearly seems to be articles that will be voted on and sent over to the United States Senate. And Senator, are you worried about how this may impact the campaign trail? You know, there's been a lot of talk on cable news about the trial and the Senate taking place in January, which of course is right before the Iowa caucuses. Do you think that's really going to impact the election? Of course, you'll be back in the Senate for the trial. But how do you see this playing out in January? Well, look, uh, you know, the most persuasive thing we're seeing, you know, I just came out of Iowa. The crowds are getting bigger. And when I do my town halls, we get in an incredible number. I think we started off with close to half of the undecided voters that were there signed commitment to caucus cards at the end of our event. And so we know the most powerful persuasion we have is for people to come and meet me and hear my vision for the country. And so, yeah, we'll be without that potentially for weeks. But at the end of the day, I swore an oath uh, to do a job. I'm going to do it. I'll be in my seat. Uh, And I really do believe that when history looks back on this moment, they want to see that when a president was willing to do such serious violations of, uh, of their oath, that we held them accountable. We didn't turn the other way or suspend it because of of a campaign, of a political campaign. So we're going to do our best during that period to continue to press forward. Uh, I really do believe of all the candidates in this race, I'm best positioned to reignite that uh, rainbow coalition or Obama coalition, whatever you think it needs to be, but the record kind of turnouts we need across our base uh, to, to, to beat Donald Trump and not just beat Donald Trump, Frankly, when you're talking about Senate seats from Arizona to North Carolina to in Georgia, South Carolina, I I think I'm the best person that can help uh, to see a wave election that will get us, will send Mitch McConnell back to the back benches. So I'm going to fight my best, and we hope that 
you know, folks who believe in my campaign will help us to have the resources in my absence to be up on TV and radio and do the kind of things we need to execute our campaign operations. Senator Booker, take us back to that day when you made the decision to run. Was there one deciding factor? I wouldn't say it was one day, but I, I was yeah. starting to write down pros and cons uh, and consulting with a lot of folks. And to be blunt, you know, when you throw yourself out there, there's, I don't care who the, you are in this race, there's a lot of concerns for your family, for your well-being, for, you know, what could do to your career, yada, yada. But look, I saw that my list was one side was more fears and one side was more hopes and faith for what our country could be. And it became suddenly a very obvious choice to make to jump into this, especially because a lot of what I'm running for, the issues and the policies my, my campaign continues to roll out are critical. I believe we must get those things done. But I think that underneath all of that, to move our country forward, we have to have a leader that can repair the fabric of our nation, that could help to have a, that revival of civic grace and that more inspire that more courageous empathy that can motivate and mobilize all of us to do the kind of things we need to get done to move forward. And um, I'm in this race because of, I, of those values and virtues that uh, I think helped us in other moral moments in our history to, to sort of inspire the moral imagination of this country to create a lot more energy to move us forward. And I believe I'm, I'm the best person that can do that in, in this field. And, and when I started to believe that, that's when I knew I, I was going to jump in and pour my heart and, and soul into this race. And Senator, you have added so much um, value, so much, um, you know, so much to the Democratic primary. Your voice is so powerful on so many issues. And, you know, my, my, my favorite, um, you know, watching you on the debate stage, um, my, my favorite role that you bring to the debate stage is just sort of being the moral compass. I think you're always able to sort of rise above the fray, rise above some of the, um, you know, squabbling, if you will, and, and really keep the focus of why all of you are running for president, what's really at stake here, and what's at the heart of the matter. So I think you play such a valuable role there. So speaking of the debate stage, the debate uh, qualifying deadline is right around the corner for this next debate, December 19th in Los Angeles. Are you going to make it? Are we going to see you on so, that debate stage? So I'm a prisoner of hope. We have a few days left. There's been this sort of desert of qualifying polls coming out. And so we just yeah. don't know. And we'll see what happens over the next four days or so. And I'm appreciative of so many people in America that are we're having our best fundraising days online, which are helping us to do what a lot of the people who qualified have been able to do, is to raise their polling numbers by being on TV all the time. And uh, that's why I think we've created this qualifying situation that makes it easy for billionaires to get on and hard for candidates that don't have those personal resources. So we're going to do everything we can. We're hoping that people, more and more people will go to CoreyBooker.com to help us make this debate stage. And if we miss this one, we need that help to make sure that we're on in January. Um, but that's, you know, our campaign is determined nonetheless because of the indices that actually matter, because polling has never been predictive of who the nominee of our party is going to be. In fact, nobody in our party has ever gone from being a front runner this far out in our lifetime to going to the White House. It just hasn't happened. Everybody's been sort of these underdogs, Carter polling in the single digits around this time, uh, uh, Bill Clinton in the low single digits. Obama at this point, on this day, actually, I think he was 18.5, almost 20% points behind Hillary Clinton. Polling is not predictive. What is, is the kind of things where we're excelling in this race. In a caucus state like Iowa, 
we're at the top of the field in local elected leaders caucusing for us, endorsing us. We are high in our net favorability uh, by a recent poll, number third most popular person in the campaign. Most people haven't chosen their candidate yet, but we're well-liked, which sets you up for caucuses. You know, the Des Moines Register and other local media have pointed out from the beginning that me and Elizabeth Warren have the most qualified organizing teams on the ground. All of these things are the things that make you competitive in Iowa. We've been excelling at those things. And so we're confident in our pathway, frustrated with the DNC's rules. But as a former you know, football player for Stanford, I don't argue with the ref. I'll focus on the next play. And we're going to do everything we can to upset in Iowa. In fact, Kerry and Edwards were polling at 4% and 2% in December, went on to finish and uh, 6th and 7th in the polling, and then went on. Everybody was giving it to Dean back then. Um, and then they went on to finish 1 and 2 in the Iowa caucuses. That's what we are looking to do uh, uh, by hard work and grit in these last eight weeks. Senator, as a as a former dean, dean staffer, I can attest to how things can quickly turn in Iowa. Um, and uh, we have we have heard from a lot of folks just how strong of an organization that you've had you have both in Iowa and other early states. Um, so I am just curious, uh, what are the pundits in the political media missing about your campaign right now? Well, I, I really more than you know appreciate that. And what's been frustrating to me this whole election is that people have been creating this polling self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, uh, from my friend Bernie and the vice president Biden, you know, they started with a hundred percent name recognition, lots of brand brand recognition. And of course they're going to be polling ahead. But when you make that the center of what campaign has viability or not, you're going to just continue to reinforce those polling numbers. We've seen from the very beginning, I think uh, 538 keeps uh, track of who's being mentioned the most in stories. And we've always been uh, uh, fighting to get that kind of coverage and focus that seems to reinforce familiarity, which seems to up polling numbers. So that's the things that have been frustrating. But as far as what they're missing about my campaign, it's that we are running this election this, with the same kind of philosophy of how I upset a machine in Newark, New Jersey to become, you know, in that city, the youngest municipal person elected and and ultimately the mayor, which is just outwork people on the ground, organizing, getting key influencers, uh, and more. And so our campaign has been doing that. And then what I love is when reporters come into my town halls and listen to how my message resonates. Because a lot of folks are like, God, this guy talks about love and unity. Uh, We're fighting Donald Trump, dear God. And, you know, I go through that progression in my campaign. I, I joke all the time about my first one of my first town halls in Iowa, I'm about to jump up on the stage. That big guy stops me and goes, dude, I want you to punch Donald Trump in the face. And I joke with him. I go, dude, that's a felony, man. That's a felony. And, uh, and, then, and then sort of walk people through about how we beat demagogues and fear mongers and bigots in the past. We didn't bring bigger dogs and fire hoses to the fight with Bull Connor. But we had these artists of activism that actually inspired people to get the heck off the couches and get into the field, and, and we took, tore down segregation in the same way from the suffrage movement. All the great movements have really been about engaging people and exciting the electorate. And so, you know, we would have a President Secretary Clinton right now, a President Clinton period, excuse me, if we had African-American turnouts the same as it was four years earlier. In fact, in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, where we lost only by 77,000 votes, 
In Milwaukee alone, the Milwaukee area alone, there was a 70,000 drop off of African-American voters. And so for a guy who in New Jersey, when I was on the ballot uh, three weeks before Chris Christie's race, uh, we our, our black turnout in the state went up between 13 and 14 percent. Three weeks later, it fell around nine percent. We know that my career, we've been able to excite and energize diverse coalitions at high voter turnouts. And I'm the only person that might have that data in their past elections to show that that's the case when I'm on the ballot. And so I'm excited to let people know that my my message resonates to bring up the best of who we are. You can't beat Donald Trump by being more Trumpy. You've got to beat him in a way that excites people to participate. And higher participation rates means we win the White House and the Senate. Um, and and so that's that's what's great about my what I think I wish more media would actually come and sit in my town halls and see that afterwards, you know, we're getting commitment to caucus cars. People are coming up to me and saying, "God, I was with this person, but now I see it. I get it. I'm shifting to you." Um, and that's what wins in Iowa, because these are not this is not a typical primary. This is a bunch of people in a room persuading each other in their own neighborhood with their own neighbors to, to support you. And that's why Iowa has been a wacky state that often belies the national polling. Well, Senator, I've got one more question before we wrap up here. And this is a very, very serious question. <laughs> The question is, what is your favorite music to listen to on the campaign trail? Maybe your favorite artist, your favorite song. Uh, what's your favorite you know, music to listen to when you're unwinding on the campaign trail? So this trail? is difficult because now there's Spotify <laughs> will send you at the end of the year uh, what you've been listening to. And I looked at my, my, uh, my end of the year most listened to Spotify list and was just cracking up because there were some dominant things, you know? So as a Jersey guy, I'm proud. There was Bruce and Chance the Rapper. There was a lot of things. But then I was laughing because, mm -hmm. uh, um, like, this morning, just to get myself up and going, I was listening to a lot of gospel. And, and, and gospel was yeah. all up and down the list. And then this is the one that's embarrassing, so I, I'm going to admit it to you guys. There was a lot of show tunes represented, and, and, and specifically <laughs> three musicals that I will tell you right now, Hamilton still – <laughs> was all over it, and uh, as well as uh, this one might surprise you, as well as uh, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, which I, I remember my girlfriend and I went to see, uh, uh, took her daughter to see Dear Evan Hansen this year, and I must have overplayed that soundtrack afterwards. I was so moved by some of the music. So I am a very eclectic guy and find uh, inspiration uh, from lots of different corners, from rap uh, to gospel. Uh, to yes, indeed, I, I admit it here, uh, show tunes as well. <laughs> hey, listen, nothing embarrassing about that. We're, we're big show tunes fans, too. So, oh, great. Senator Booker, great. thank you so much for joining us. We are so thrilled to have you on the Electables. Good luck out there. We're rooting for you. We hope to see you on that debate stage, and uh, we hope to have you back. Well, let me do it would be malpractice if I didn't make the shameless plug that I hope folks will go to CoreyBooker.com to help us uh, to get the resources to get on the December or January debate stage and obviously eight weeks from now to, to win those caucuses. So thank you. Everyone go to CoreyBooker.com. We made the plug for you yesterday too, Senator, on our, um, on, oh, our, wow. on our podcast. So good luck in Iowa. Good luck uh, in New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada and all the way to Super Tuesday. We're, um, we're, we're rooting for you. Uh, thank you so much for joining the electables. Uh, it's been a great conversation. You're welcome back anytime, too. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. All the Thank best you, Senator. You well. 
All right. Happy holidays. For my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell. This has been The Electables, and we'll catch you next time.